welcome to the Peace of Mind podcast, where we discuss all things vegan and vegetarian, from our discoveries to trends to tips on transition. I'm Sarah. And I'm Olivia. And today we're going to be talking about some recent exciting changes in the food guide industry, I guess, out there. Recently, the Canadian Food Guide was in the news making some headlines for landmark changes in its dietary recommendations. And we were curious how it compares to the U.S. dietary guidelines and how our recommendations have evolved over time. So if you want to know the highlights, Sarah is the expert on this field now. So Sarah, what's new with the Canadian guidelines? <laughs> expert, LOL. Well, <laughs> From the couple articles I've read, and <laughs> yeah, um, my new expertise. Uh, yeah, so there, there have been some exciting changes in Canada's 2019 dietary guidelines that they recently released. So the most recent edition advises replacing most animal proteins and fats with plant-based sources. Wow, like that in, itself, that in itself is so huge. And the guidelines don't focus on set food groups or serving sizes, but they emphasize consuming whole plant-based foods, whole grains, produce, and this is the best, protein foods regularly, <laughs> and avoiding most beverages except for water. So, and it never mentions dairy consumption. So the guidelines are split up into three main sections, uh, foundations for healthy eating. So the things I just mentioned about eating very whole plant-based, food and beverages that undermine healthy eating. So like things to avoid. And then the importance of food skills and cooking at home, which I think is just so sweet. So so I, wholesome. It's so wholesome. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so these, these guidelines um, made a lot of news headlines and are pretty uh, progressive <laughs> and yeah. um, pretty forward thinking. That's just, you, I, you don't see these in most um, government food guidelines. And we, there's a, some overlap with the U.S. guidelines, but the, real, the big focus on plant-based sources and not having dairy at all are um, pretty revolutionary and exciting for, for the plant-based movement, especially that Canada has really embraced that. Absolutely. And it's like a major country in North America adopting these guidelines, which naturally kind of puts pressure on others to reevaluate the information that they're putting out there. Um, in the U.S., the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Agriculture develop each edition of the Dietary Guidelines for America and the first modern collaborative one was released in 1980, although there were many prior, which we'll be covering in another episode. Well, many prior that were just from the USDA, who sort of right. has been giving dietary recommendations for, again, way, way further back than that. But the official like dietary guidelines for Americans. Exactly. Since have, 1980, yeah. every five years. Um, they published the dietary guidelines to reflect the current body of scientific evidence on nutrition, food, and health. So the most recent one was 2015, and it's good through 2020, which means we have another one coming up soon. So mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see whether these new guidelines from our northern neighbor um, create any change in our own guidelines. Before the Health and Human Services and USDA release each new edition, the departments kind of convene um, and create a dietary guidelines advisory committee to review the body of nutrition science that's out there. And a lot has come out since 2015. So I think there will definitely be some major changes in this next one. But currently they focus on ages two and older. However, science shows that dietary intake from birth and the mother's diet during pregnancy can really have a lasting impact on a child's health and development. So as a result, they've also initiated a project to begin evaluating scientific evidence available with the potential for future dietary guidance for infants and toddlers. 
from birth to two years old and for women who are pregnant as well. And by 2020, it says they'll have dietary guidelines expanding to include these groups, which is really awesome to see. I actually didn't know. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know they were left out. That blows my mind that they have not been included until, like, yeah. are, are currently not included, and they won't be until the 2020 guidelines. So we at least for, know for sure that that is one big change that will be coming in 2020. Yeah, very exciting stuff. So, Sarah, what's changed in the, or I guess what has been different from our childhood to the 2015 through 2020 guidelines? Well, so we're actually going to do a whole second episode about what the guidelines used to be. Um, mm-hmm. As as we mentioned, the, the USDA has been putting out dietary guidelines since, what is it, I believe, 1916. Yeah. Um, and they have been thoroughly entertaining for at least Olivia and me. We hope you find, <laughs> we'll find them as entertaining <laughs> as we did. Um, so, but today we're going to focus on what are the current dietary guidelines for Americans um, for from 2015 to 2020. And then in the, in a, in a future episode, we're going to go back and look at some of the historical guidelines, historical guidelines and the evolution over time. So we're going to focus today on where we are right now. So um, we will link the, uh, the website where you can find the very comprehensive. I was really impressed actually with how much um, information they have in the official guidelines. You know, it's not just a few bullet points. It's, there's a lot of research. And so we have, um, we're going to just kind of give a summary of the executive summary that they share in their guidelines, but you can dive way deep into a lot of these topics. And we're going to go into a few that we thought were most interesting. So the first one is to follow healthy eating patterns across the lifespan. Pretty basic. (laughs) Could we be more basic and vague? Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Eat healthy your whole life. Woo. Who's surprised? (laughs) So yeah. Yeah, the second guideline I think dives a little bit more into it. They say focus on variety, nutrient density, and amount. So that means meeting nutrient needs within calorie limits. Uh, And I think it's interesting that versus the Canada guidelines, which aren't really focused on fitness so much as health, overall health encompassing, just eat a bunch of whole plant foods. It doesn't matter how much you eat versus the U.S. is still really in a mindset of calorie counting, I yeah. think. And it shows up in, the, in these guidelines as well um, because they do give most of their guidelines based on the percentage of total calories you're supposed to consume in a day, even in their nutrient-dense foods. And, um, it, and sorry, just to, to mm-hmm. give the extra note that it's all based on a 2,000-calorie diet. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't find it particularly <laughs> helpful when they, the, like the specific amounts they give, they do give a few examples throughout of sort of what that looks like in certain kinds of foods, but like, I need way more examples, you know what I mean? Of sort of like how yeah. this, how this could possibly look in a meal for it to be, for the numbers to be really helpful on a day-to-day basis, I think. Exactly. Because I mean, for me too, it's such a hassle to go in and be like, okay, I'm supposed to have 2,000 calories. I'm supposed to have 10% or less of those calories be saturated fat. So we got 200 calories of saturated fat. But wait, these are in grams on nutrition labels. So how many calories is that? I've got to do way too much converting. (laughs) Think about that. Whereas Canada is just like, chill, guys. Just eat whole plant foods as possible. (laughs) Which I think is just more realistic for what people are going to do on a daily basis. but I do think the recommendations aren't wrong in the U.S. guidelines. I just think some of them are like yeah, the approach very, is just very different. Yeah, very mathematical and based uh-huh. on the calorie recommendations. Yes, 
which doesn't come across as super achievable or relatable to average people, I don't yeah. think. I would agree. So the way they categorize the food groups is pretty similar to the way at least I grew up with them being categorized with a few minor changes. They say um, variety of vegetables from all subgroups, dark green, red and orange, legumes, beans, and peas, starchy vegetables, and other. So any other vegetable in that category that doesn't fall within those. Eat your veggies. Yeah. Fruits, especially whole fruits. Uh, grains, at least half of which are whole grains, which that's that was interesting to me. That like was odd. I, like what? As opposed to like just you can have as much white bread up to half of the point, or I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that means exactly. Yeah, I agree because, and then later they also they do specify you know reducing, um, you know, processed sugar and processed foods, and it's like yeah, so a lot of. Like, a lot of grains that aren't whole grains are way more heavily processed and have a lot of added sugar, you know? So, like, what that is a, that was a very weird, at least half of which are whole <laughs> At least half. At okay. least half, guys. Okay. Like, if you're making recommend, why wouldn't you just say, like, aim for whole grains? Yeah. You know, like, just stop there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if that's, that's the better one, then tell us just to eat whole grains. <laughs> yeah, I think they did try in this set of guidelines to really focus on what you should be eating instead of what you shouldn't be eating. But there is still these, like, remnants of past guidelines that kind of pop up in here of, like, but don't eat too much of this uh, throughout mm -hmm. the recommendations, which is interesting. They also say fat-free or low-fat dairy, including milk, yogurt, cheese, and or fortified soy beverages. So that's kind of a new addition. Whoa. That was never mentioned before growing up. I know that for sure. Yeah. I love um, it. I love that they've, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's so awesome that they're like, yep, soy milk is equivalent to this. So that's, yeah. I just, I love that they're, that they've acknowledged that. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's interesting because I wonder, I was thinking on this a little bit, and I wonder if they only include soy and not other plant-based milks because soy is a complete protein, uh, well, like milk, or if it's, but I mean, if they're saying like fortified is good anyway. Well, they mentioned, uh, I forget, I think I was going to mention this later on, but they do, I, I, they do specifically say soy, not other plant-based milks because soy milk nutritionally is the most equivalent to cow's milk. Hmm. So a lot of other plant milks are like way lower in calories, have different kinds of nutrients. Not to say that they're bad in any way. It's just not. Soy is the most directly equivalent nutritionally see. to regular hmm. milk. That's so that's good to know. That's why they call out soy specifically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So if you're, that's why like a lot of other plant-based milks are a great substitute for people who are losing weight because soy and cow's milk both usually have way more calories than like almond milk or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and that's because yeah, so soy milk is most nutritionally equivalent compared to other plant-based milks. Yeah, it'll be interesting in the new recommendations to see how they tackle the other plant-based milks with the rise of them. Oh, yeah. Because I think they've become much more popular in so recent years on the market. And I think if you don't address it in your nutrition guidelines somewhere, you're missing a big chunk of people on the market because actually most of the world is lactose sensitive or intolerant. Mm. So if you're you're ignoring like more than half of the population who maybe use it not because necessarily they're on a plant-based diet, but just because they can't drink milk directly. Absolutely. So that'll be interesting to see. 
And then they also recommend a variety of protein foods, <laughs> including, which is just a fun Again, cat. yeah. I think that is so interesting that they, they say both them and the Canadian guidelines have, it's now protein foods, which. Well, I mean, you know, that's a step up, I guess, from like, I know oh, yeah. b- before it was just called meat. Yep. Like that was the only category it was, but this includes seafood, lean meats, poultry, eggs, legumes, beans and peas, and nuts, seeds, and soy products. Uh, another inclusion of soy there. Shout yeah. out to soy. But I think it's really funny that like, I I think in the, I don't know if this is actually true, but I seem to remember in older guidelines, like eggs being paired with dairy in the food groups, maybe like, do you remember that? Hmm. We might have, we'll have to go back and look at the, the okay. historical we'll pictures. Okay. Ca- we'll have, stay tuned. We'll have the answer for that in the next episode. <laughs> but, no, I think, I think it's with, I think it was with meat, but not, I mean, I, f- I feel like it could go either way. <laughs> I yeah. Don't really, I, don't I don't know. know. I feel like I, for some reason in my mind, those were paired in my head for a long time. So I don't know, but. Maybe because they're paired as two things you can't eat. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. <laughs> that might be it. But yeah. yeah. The other thing I want to highlight from this is that they have a whole little call-out box about um, legumes, which, as Olivia said, is includes beans and peas. And as you just heard us say, they are, they are included in both the protein food group as well as the vegetable group. They call out, be- they call out legumes because they're like, beans are so healthy for you. They count as two food groups. So that's awesome. Yeah. Eat your beans, kids. Yeah, I love beans. So that is not a problem for me. Love Same. that. And then the last one gets its own category, even though it's not included in the graphic, which I know you have thoughts on this, is oils. Like, just specifically oils, consuming, what is it, five teaspoons a day of extracts or oils. But they also recognize that they're from, they come from, you know, certain foods, nuts, seeds, um, avocados are an example they give that have natural fats and oils that have vitamin E and... uh, so it's interesting that they have still a separate food group for oils, which feels like it's a remnant from past food guides potentially, but yeah, so even their pretty detailed description of this section confused me. <laughs> so <laughs> basically, so so um as we said, so this is different than the the my plate USDA graphic that mm-hmm. a lot of us, a lot of that's what a lot of us think of when we think of government dietary guidelines and they those are based off of the, this um, but they don't include oils as a category on that graphic. And it does say in here, although they are not a food group, oils are emphasized as part of healthy eating patterns because they're a major source of essential fatty acids and vitamin E. Okay, fair. But like they call it out as a food group in what it looks like, you know, in this list. And by saying like oils, like that's a thing. But they, they say, no, it's not a food group. And then they also say oils should replace solid fats rather than being added to the diet. So that's a little confusing. Recommendation is about five teaspoons per day. And then they say commonly consumed oil extracts extracts from plants include canola, corn, olive, blah, blah. Oils are also naturally present in nuts, seeds, seafood, olives, and avocados. So like I'm confused if they're saying I can just eat, if I can figure out what five teaspoons of oil by eating a whole avocado is like (laughs) does that count like is that enough or are they saying that like when I think of oils I don't think of oh just eating an avocado and there is just some oil in it like you know it's they phrased it in a really weird way that makes it confusing as to whether you should be intentionally including a lot of what I think most of us think of like liquid oil extracts right like that's Mm -hmm. what you think of when you think of oil you don't think of an avocado or 
seeds. Right. right. I think of those things as healthy fats, which I think is what they're getting at by saying that it's a major source of essential fatty acid and vitamin E, which I get. Um, and you can get that from liquid oil extracts, but the, it's just, the way it's presented is very confusing because they put, they put an icon for it and they have it in this list, but then they say oil is not a food group. Oil <laughs> should, like, it should, it should replace solid fats rather than be added to the diet. Like what? The mixed messaging there. I did not appreciate the way that was laid out. So yeah. So hopefully they'll update that in 2020 and we'll get a little bit more clarification on what they mean and what their recommendations are. Yeah, and I'll be curious because I know there is some some research um, indicating that, like, you know, getting it from again the whole plant food, like eating an olive, eating an avocado, yes, that's healthy for you. I know there is some research out there that indicates that like liquid oil extracts might be unhealthy for you, you know. But so clearly they're being treated as equivalent here. So I'm curious if in the last five years anything substantial came out yeah. of that research that might change the guidelines in terms of if they would recommend more whole foods that have oils in them as opposed to the extracts or not or if they just say you just need some kind of oil whether it's whether it's <laughs> wherever you can get it yeah whether it's from the extract or figuring out what five teaspoons in of is of an avocado <laughs> like, you know yeah yeah and like the that's not the only situation in these guidelines where it's just kind of like okay so what does that mean for in terms of daily consumption because the next recommendation they have is limiting calories from added sugars and saturated fats to and reduce your sodium intake. Okay, so some of these are kind of easy to follow, like consume less than 2,300 milligrams of sodium per day. Not easy if you're eating packaged food at all. Like look at any nutrition label. It is super hard to stay under that number. Um, even in like canned beans or canned yeah. Um, like diced tomatoes have gotten me. Um, I've tried to start following this a little bit more, but it is actually pretty hard to stay under that if you have anything that's preserved. Um, and though you can look um, for, in terms of those types of canned items, you can definitely look for no sodium added labels. Yeah. For beans and, and tomatoes, but yeah, any other, any like uh, pre-made food, like a quick lunch or something like, like that always has like salt as a preservative in it. And yeah, it's hard to stay under that number. And also sure. not, not something I really pay attention to. So I for sure probably don't follow that. Yeah, I started just paying attention to it because I was curious after I learned the guidance. I should. Yeah, I, was yeah, like, good point. I was like, let me just look at these cans and see. And all of a sudden I'm like, 25% of my sodium intake, what? Right. And like, it was just can diced tomatoes. So I've started trying to grab the no salt added tomatoes. But there are some like, that they just don't make in the no salt added, at least at the places yeah. I go. Oh, true. And, yeah, you can't always find them, for sure. And so that's, like, another issue that I've been grappling with. Um, but then there's others, like, consume less than 10% of your calories per day from added sugars and less than 10% from saturated fats. So, yeah, I, it's, like, right. that's, like, a lot of conversion <laughs> in math. I mean, you have to do daily. Yeah. Be like, I okay, how many calories am I going to consume today? What's 10% of that? Um, and then when I look on the nutrition label, oh, well, this is in grams and it's based on a 2000 calorie diet, which may not be my diet. So, right. uh, okay, this is like, I'm not a math person. So that's a lot going on there. So yeah. it just gets convoluted very quickly. And yeah. And, and then and this one kind of, this one kind of got me too. Cause I'm like, I wonder how many Americans are following this. It says, oh yeah. 
If alcohol is consumed, it should be consumed in moderation, up to one drink per day for women and up to two drinks per day for men and only by adults of legal drinking age. Let's just let that resonate for a moment. (laughs) Moderate drinking is one drink per day for women. Yeah. Whoa! (laughs) Yeah. That actually, my... um, my doctor told me that once. You know how they always ask you when you go get your checkup, like, how many drinks do you usually have in, like, an average week? Da, 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 da. So I, like, told her, and then she was like, all right, did you know that moderation for women is one drink per day? And I was like, I did not. Thank you for letting me know. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's like, I, like, lie, because usually for, like, for me, I'm like, I don't drink on a day-to-day basis, Right. usually if I've decided to drink, it's not going to be one drink. <laughs> Yes, I'm like, well, do you mean if I spread out my drinks over a week? Does it average to one a day? Is that what you're looking for? We're revealing so much about ourselves. Right anyway, I well, thought that but was I think, You know, because that is so not how people drink. Come on. Like, very few people, if they drink, have one. Yeah. Just one. sitting, right? Like, and then you're done because that's moderate drinking. That is moderate drinking <laughs> up to one. That is... So you're telling, it's like, should be advertised more. Like, even if it's, you know, it feels like, okay, wow, a lot of people probably aren't doing that. Then we should be telling people this, that like moderate drinking is one drink because that's dramatically different than what I thought it was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, I remember I actually had a similar encounter at a doctor where that was the first time. And then I started kind of lying after that (laughs) because they, they were like, you know, um, how many drinks? Do not do you- follow our example. Do not yeah, lie don't. to your doctors. Don't I don't lie to your doctor, doctor the truth. I'm just like, this is what it is. And it's not, I do not, okay. Also, for the record, like, we do not drink a lot. This is no, but I'm making I, it sound like we do. But if I'm going out on a Saturday night, it's not going to be like, oh, only one, one. That's only fair. one drink for me. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I thought that was interesting because I also know like a lot of people who come home and have a glass or two of wine a night. And, mm-hmm. You know, I don't personally do that just because mostly I don't really like wine. But, you know, I think there's like a big disconnect between the actual recommendations here and what's commonly practiced. Yeah. And what people people think of as moderation for sure. And that's which is not good. Like we should all know, like, even if we're not going to follow it, we should at least know that moderation is one drink, you know? Yeah. 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 Totally. One drink per 24 hour period. That's like, that's the recommended one. And on the on the line of uh, liquid choices, shifting to healthier food and beverage choices is the another recommendation, which I found pretty repetitive, but I think they just had to throw beverages in there. Mm-hmm. And they defined it as choosing nutrient-dense foods in place of less healthy choices. <sighs> so big so again. I do appreciate, though, they did – they keep saying nutrient-dense foods a lot. So mm-hmm. that's um, that's good. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. yeah. In place of less healthy choices, like, okay, you want to give some more examples? Like, what do you consider less nutrient-dense and less healthy? So, we, you know what I mean? I wish they had more. Yeah, totally. They do do have some examples, um, but less than I would like. Yeah, totally. And then the last official one, which I loved, was supporting healthy eating patterns for all, which I think is really great because it recognizes the need beyond individual skill sets and individual education and knowledge and the need to build healthier communities and food systems for all people in order for us to meet these guidelines, which doesn't exist across the United States today. There are so many nutrition issues that extend beyond 
individuals into economic inequality throughout communities, access to healthy foods. People who live in food deserts can't necessarily get these nutrient-dense foods that they're talking about. And also cultural and social acceptability issues that underlie trying to adopt healthier diets and even just family issues of trying to, you know, if you're a parent trying to get your kids to eat like this and the family's uproaring, there's a lot of resistance beyond individual choices that I think uh, is really important to recognize. So I loved that they threw that in there. Yeah, I agree. They have a whole, um, they have a whole chapter section on it in the dietary guidelines called everyone has a role in supporting healthy eating patterns. And the, yeah, they break down creating and supporting healthy choices, the social ecological model, and my favorite meeting people where they are contextual factors and healthy eating patterns. So yeah, I think this was a, this is a fantastic inclusion. Yeah, for sure. And I hope they include it and continue to update it in the new guidelines. Yeah. And the the last one that they kind of throw in there, they're like, this isn't an official recommendation because we aren't the like physical activity guideline people, but they say that (laughs) regular physical activity is an important part of a healthy and balanced lifestyle. And they recommend meeting the U.S.'s recommendations for physical activity guidelines. And those are those are shockingly high as well. (laughs) It's 150 minutes a week of moderate activity minimum or 75 minutes a week of vigorous activity minimum in healthy adults. So that means like five days a week, you should be getting at least 30 minutes of moderate exercise. Right. (laughs) So that's like, that's, let me look at my week so far. (laughs) Yeah. Like even as that made me do double take, like even as a personal trainer, I'm like, Oh, am I even meeting that? Like that's a lot. And that's the minimum. Right. So that was a little bit shocking as well. So another wonderful little nugget we found in the um, dietary guidelines was they have a section called examples of other healthy eating patterns which is first of all great that they acknowledge like, okay, this is not the end all be all of healthy eating, you know, to follow this framework exactly. They say there are many ways to consume a healthy eating pattern and the evidence to support multiple approaches has expanded over time. And they call out the healthy Mediterranean style eating pattern and the healthy vegetarian eating pattern, which were developed by modifying the healthy U S style eating pattern. That is what we have been discussing. Um, there, these are two examples of healthy eating patterns individuals may choose based on personal preference. So, woot woot, we have official recognition that eat, being vegetarian can be a healthy eating pattern. Ta-da. Exactly. By the U.S. government. <laughs> Recognized by the U.S. government. So now it's official. <laughs> so now it's totally official. And every time someone says, how can you live as a vegetarian, I'm just going to send them to this link. <laughs> <laughs> we will provide to you, and you can do the same. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so it says, these patterns were designed to consider types and proportions of foods Americans typically consume, but in nutrient-dense forms and appropriate amounts. So so that's awesome. So, And it, it, the healthy vegetarian eating pattern is, is basically the same. It's, it's so close to it. It just says, this includes more legumes, soy products, nuts and seeds, and whole grains. Contains no meats, poultry, or seafood. And is otherwise basically identical to healthy U.S. style eating pattern in amounts of all of other food groups. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's not even that hard, guys. <laughs> no, it's literally just like add more of one food group and reduce the other parts of that food group. And, and they the have protein foods. Yes, more. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Um, yeah, but it's, I thought it was interesting. It said that um, the, the pattern is similar in meeting nutrient standards to the regular U.S. style pattern, but is somewhat higher in calcium and dietary fire, fiber and lower in vitamin D, which I thought was interesting due to differences sure. in foods included in the protein food group, specifically more tofu and beans and no seafood. So I, that makes it, do you get vitamin D from seafood? I, I, I will have to verify that. That, that. threw me off. <laughs> I was like, wait. Because that's what it makes it seem like. It they is. It, the way they totally. structured it is paralleled. So yeah, maybe. So odd, but yeah, we're higher in calcium and dietary fiber, y'all. We're doing it right. Obviously, that's like you're welcome. Pretty easy. The dietary fiber portion is very easy <laughs> if you're vegetarian. <laughs> it's like yeah. in everything. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's really it's interesting to see um, what the official guidelines are, just to kind of compare where you are, where you might like to be <laughs> instead. <laughs> uh, I know it definitely made me question a few things, a few of my habits um, mm -hmm. in my eating patterns. And um, like we said, what most of us would recognize uh, are the USDA dietary guideline graphics. Those are kind of representations of these guidelines that they put out every five years. Shout out to the pyramid, y'all. Um, <laughs> for those of us 90s babies out there, you probably remember the pyramid. And if you are um, before that generation, you may remember some even weirder stuff, which we'll be covering <laughs> in our next episode. Uh, where we'll go over the history of how these guidelines have changed over time. And I have to say, as a teaser, it is hilarious and yeah. fascinating. It is. It's so interesting. They, I mean, it is, yes, much more. You would, I, I would, you would think that they would sort of incrementally evolve and sort of be similar from one after the next, but it just goes in very different directions from like, they, totally. they tried a lot of different marketing techniques. And so it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, if you remember like in 2005, I was very upset as a fifth grader. Um, they updated the pyramid to be my pyramid and had like a person jogging on the side of the pyramid. And the pyramid was like a pie chart inside a pyramid. It was very confusing. I was upset. Uh, <laughs> and then they created afterwards with the newer guidelines, they've created my plate, which I think is a much more sensible graphic, uh, just in understanding <laughs> what you're actually supposed to do with these guidelines. Since, um, we, since we eat food on plates and not out of pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see the pyramid, and it's so funny because like, I just felt so really attached to the OG pyramid. Um, <laughs> that like when they updated it to a new pyramid, I was like really upset about it um, for a long time. So we'll be discussing all of that <laughs> in next week's episode. So stay tuned. Um, we want to hear from you about what you think of these guidelines. Are you currently meeting them? Or do you what do you think the changes will be coming in the next year? You can email us at peaceinmindpodcast at gmail.com or tweet or DM us on Instagram or Twitter at Peas of Mind Pod on both channels. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from people. It makes our day. Uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll catch you next time. Peace out. <laughs>